Oh, guys, this is exciting. This is like a crazy, um, I'm intercepting into part of this episode or part of the series many, many, many years later. So the last time I did a recording for the podcast was I think 2020, I think. So it's been, it's been two years since then and it's been a whole crazy journey. And I'm sure I've explained in previous episodes when I've gone back and re-recorded some and explain this massive jump in time, but it just feels, it feels different. It feels crazy. Obviously for you listening, you're hearing the old version of me and then you're hearing future version of me at different parts of the the, uh, the episodes. I think that's great because you get to, you get to see that there is potential there to, to kind of replenish yourself and become a beautiful butterfly in a nice cringy, cringy way. So today we are going from balancing your thoughts and feelings, which is on page 151. And then let me just click through these pages. We're going to get to, well, the start of chapter seven, which is based upon advanced emotion regulation skills. And I'm so excited to begin. So let's let's get into it. Balancing your thoughts and your feelings. So as we've already learned together now, Overwhelming emotions can be caused by many, many events, but you can also be overwhelmed by your emotions when you only pay attention to part of what's really happening. So this is a thinking type called filtering. And here are some examples of it. So Zeva, I'm going to say Ziva, I think that's how we say it. So Ziva was a straight A student. She always made the honour roll and she had already received a full scholarship to her first choice of colleagues. But when she got a poor grade on her maths test, she broke down. I'm such a loser, she thought to herself. And very quickly, she felt overwhelmed, upset and angry. Another example, Antonio asked his girlfriend if she could come over at three o'clock. And she said that she was busy until seven and she would come over then. Antonio immediately got angry and accused her of abandoning him. And yeah, I remember feeling that many, many years ago. If someone was like, I'm going to be a couple of minutes late, I can't get there at the time I've said, my immediate thought is, what's wrong with me? Like, what have I done? Why am I not good enough? Very self-indulgent thoughts. And thinking back now, ridiculously cringy. Knowing that that was a version of me that was just so... And I didn't mean to be... I don't want this to offend anyone, but it's very, it's a self-absorbed feeling. When We come from a very selfish place, but we don't mean that in a rude way. We don't mean to think that we are rude people. It's because we've never got our needs met. So we are obviously number one. And because we are stuck in this mindset of being this neglected child and someone that's dealt through a lot of trauma, um, it's hard for us to see a world outside of ourselves where no one has shown us this big bad world and that there is a divide between our body and the world. So what I mean by that is basically that we've never been taught that sometimes it's okay to be let down by people, that sometimes it's okay that people have other things going because we are constantly living in a state of life and death, basically. You know, some of us have been abused, we've been neglected, that it's very hard to not feel selfish about our own needs because we're here trying to survive like everything is diabolically important to me because you know I nearly died many many years ago this person neglected me this person abused me so my needs are very important so it's hard to get out of that mindset in the adult world so if we still stay in that childlike mindset of 
I'm getting abused, I'm getting neglected, I have to put my needs first and escape this situation or fawn over this person and and get them to be pleasant to me and manipulate them so that they don't abuse me. We take that mindset into adulthood and it's very unhealthy. But I digress. The next example is Jennifer grew up in a typical middle-class family in a fairly good neighborhood. Most often, her parents were kind and supportive and they always tried to do their best for her. However, one day when Jennifer was five, her father punished her for talking back to him and she was grounded for a week. Later, as an adult, whenever Jennifer thought about her young life, she only remembered that incident and she got upset whenever she thought about it. So yeah, we all have those moments, right, where something is just so etched and burnt into our into our psyche, into our brain that we continuously overthink and overthink. So the book tells us to think about the filtering in each person's thoughts. So Ziva was devastated by one less than perfect grade because she filtered out all of her past successes. Antonio filtered out the fact that his girlfriend said she would come over at a different, more convenient time. Remember, she never said she wasn't coming over. She just said, I will be there when it's a bit more convenient for me. And that's that's okay. And Jennifer filtered out all of her positive childhood experiences and only focused on the one hardship she experienced. So guys, imagine living your life with dark sunglasses on all of the time so that it's impossible to see the colours of the world. Think about what a limited, dreary life you might have. Similarly, when you filter your experience and only focus on the distressing elements of your life, you are also choosing, not in not directly, I get this, but we are choosing to live a limited, unfulfilling life. Now let me give you a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a, a podcast outside perspective. The more self-aware that you become, it's it's great. Like I've spoke about this for, for, for two years now, that becoming self-aware is a huge deal and everyone needs to go through it and to grow. But there is a turning point where you become so self-aware, you get re- you feel you don't feel shame anymore for your past behavior because you've worked through it, but you feel a lot of guilt and a lot of cringy kind of weird feelings for your your past behavior. But also you can you can sense other people's behavior. So I can notice those not the toxic traits in people, but I'm very aware when someone is um very emotionally volatile when they're unable to handle their emotions. And then eventually when I become so self-aware, I look back on my life and I think, wow, I've spent so many years where I was so consumed in my depression and my anxiety. And I took this mental filtering thought process that I was a terrible person, that I wasn't successful, that I couldn't be an amazing person because of all this trauma that I've dealt with. And I carried that thought process for so many years that when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, wow, like that is a really, really shitty life. Like I've wait, not wasted my life because I, I wouldn't change a thing. All the bad stuff, I wouldn't change it because I would not, things would be different. So where I am now, I'm happy. I love who I am. I love my life. But there's so many moments where I do feel like I've missed out on so much. And that's because I had those, not even rose tinted glasses, like these horrible black glasses that just make you only see like the doom and gloom and everything. Okay, so let's talk about how we get out of this. So in order to start begin balancing your thoughts so that you're not always thinking those deep, horrible, dingy things, you and therefore your emotions as well, it's necessary to examine the evidence that supports both sides of the emotion-stimulating event. So remember many, 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 many months ago from Radical Acceptance, 
we had an exercise where we were going to radically accept something. So let's say you had an argument with a friend, okay? Of course, you are going to stick up for yourself. You're going to be your, your warrior in that moment. However, your friend has a side of that argument too. And it could turn out you're both arguing for the same thing. You both want the same outcome, yet there's different ways you're trying to, to get towards it. The most healthy situation is looking at it from both sides. You're still allowed to have your say and say, look, I'm, I'm really upset that you said this. I don't want to have this argument. This makes me feel awful. But as soon as you can say that, you're seeing it from someone else's perspective as well. You have both sides of the event. So let's look at these examples. So we have evidence supporting your self-criticisms versus evidence that you are a good person. Now, in therapy, we call this in... Um, DBT therapy, we call this fact-checking. So you need to check your facts against your negative brain against what's actually happened. So when we take Ziva's example, she says that she's a loser because she didn't get, well, she got a, a poor grade on her maths test, but she is a straight A student for every single thing. She's already received a full scholarship, so she's forgetting how amazing she is by that one tiny, in her head, default. So the fact is, you didn't get that grade that time, but every other time, every other time before, you did amazing. So the facts are, you are an amazing person. You have to check those facts. You have to be able to be a judge with the, you know, those, those judge hammers. I don't know what the actual term is, but you have to be able to check the facts in your own court of law. And you have to sit with yourself and be like, okay, so what's factual right now? If I took myself to court, what would my, you know, two lawyers say? Would they say, this is the fact here that you're not a bad person? And then would there be a fact here to say that I am a bad person? It's subjective. It's not true. So evidence as well, that only bad things happen to you versus evidence that good things happen to you. Now, I know, I get this. We feel like, oh my gosh, another thing, bad things happened. I know the car broke down. Maybe your kids are getting sent home from school because they've got some behavior problems. You're probably going to sit there thinking, why does it always happen to me? But really, are bad things happening to you? Is there a, like a, a horrible dingy cloud following you around? No, that's your perception of your life. That doesn't mean bad things are happening. Bad things happen to every single person. However, for us BPDers, we assume that it's always, you know, we're, we're attracting all this bad stuff and it's not, it's not true at all. Next up, evidence that no one cares about you versus evidence that people do care about you. We have this, there's moments. In fact, I'll share that what something I saw yesterday. So, there was a video of a woman, it was like a TikTok video, um, which is really crazy because back in 2020 when I started the episode, TikTok was not a thing. It was, I think it was still part of a China social um, networking. It was kind of new and now it's like huge. But the TikTok video was a woman that was saying, who do you call for in your time of need? You know, those depressive, horrible moments when you need to hear someone's voice, someone that supports you. And so many guys responded to that video and they said, no one, I'm a man, I know I, I'm, no one cares about me, no one has the time for me. And that was really sad. One, that's sad that guys feel like they don't have anyone to talk to in their time of need. And also, it's also really sad that on, underneath the surface of that, everyone will admit that they've had a dark moment. You know, even the most strongest guy, I used to work in, in advertising and I was working for um, like a weightlifting protein supplement company and there was lots of guys there around this table big bulky heavy guys muscle tall you know viking-esque type of uh, stereotype there and there was a, they all kind of individually shared with me the moments that they felt the most depressed and sad and I was like that concept that if you are a strong person on the outside you're strong on the inside mm -mm, not true 
So what I'm trying to get out from from that um, bit of a bit of a tangent is that we sometimes feel that we don't have someone in our life, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we maybe we've pushed people away, we've moved away, we don't have close friends, but there is always someone there that is there for you, even though we feel like we don't have someone and that people don't care. There will be someone. I know in my darkest moments that when I struggled and I just cried, you know, hugged my knees um, and bawled my eyes out, you know, on my my kitchen floor. In that moment, I felt like no one cared for me because that pain was so traumatic. I was heartbroken at something that happened. I felt like I was dying. And then when I came out of that, I think, wow, if I just called up this friend, even if we weren't that close, and I was like, I'm so sorry to do this. I have no one to talk to. I'm in a really low moment. Can I just have 10 minutes of your time? Even in that moment as well, the most craziest thing is I have my I have my partner, but I didn't call him up because I felt shame and embarrassment for feeling so low. And I've also been in the situation where I've had no one. And I guess this kind of contradicts everything that I'm saying, but there was once I went to university and I was really, 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 really low um, to the point where I was like, yep, I'm done. This is it. I'm going. I'm signing off. Um I was sat in my friend's apartment, which is weird. So I, I had someone there physically, but I didn't feel connected to that person. Is that because I was fantasizing that the ideal relationship um, of a friend didn't exist for me right then? Or was it my brain trying to crave a parental relationship? You know, if we've had neglected um, parents for whatever reason, we always crave for that relationship to soothe us. So it might be you have a partner, you have a best friend, but if they're not giving you that parental unconditional love feeling where they're saying, no, I'm proud, you're here, I love you, um, you're doing a great job, I see you for who you are type thing, you can come to me. If we don't have that, it doesn't matter who we're surrounded with, we're not going to feel that close-knit relationship and that's just because we want parental parental stuff. Anyway, I remember going through my phone book and I probably called in that evening, I would say 20, 30 people, some people that I was at college with, some people that I hadn't spoke to, some people I saw like two days earlier, no one answered the phone. And I remember being like, oh my God, no one cares for me. And I know, I know in that moment, I think I walked out of my friend's apartment and I went and got the train home and I I calmed down. I know that if I was bawling my eyes out in the street, a stranger would have stopped me and been like, hey, are you okay? And that is all I needed. But I was obviously crying over parental uh, relationships. So what I'm trying to say here is you have to fact check everything. Just because you don't have someone in your immediate circle to to soothe you doesn't mean that people don't care, okay? Next up, fact checking. Evidence that you never do anything right versus evidence of your past successes. Evidence that the current situation is awful versus evidence that it's not as bad as you think. So in general, evidence for the bad versus evidence for the good. So this is this is splitting it at its finest, okay? Splitting 101. This is good, this is bad. I will avoid this, I would do that. So we need to learn to see the big picture, the opposite of filtering. Now I get it, this can be hard to do if you've spent your life narrowly focusing on just the negative evidence in your life. And if you've only had negative experiences as a kid, they were you know, few and far between those nice positive emotions, of course, your brain is hardwired to look for danger. That is just neuroplasticity right there. Like your brain is looking for signs of of trauma and danger to escape from. I get that. But you can learn to change, I promise you. So let's let's talk about that in another episode though. 
You can learn to see that big picture by examining the evidence that goes against your distressing thoughts and feelings. Okay, we have to learn to challenge this. These facts, which are often ignored by people with overwhelming emotions, and if you want to laugh at that part about yourself, do it because this is how I feel. I think back to all of those overwhelming emotions and I'm like, oh, I ignored so much stuff. Like I ignored to check the facts and then I just made myself feel worse. You know, it's hard to get out of that mindset, but it with practice, it gets easier. So you filter less of your experiences and you become less overwhelmed by your emotions. And let me tell you, it's a beautiful feeling. It's a strange kind of feeling when you see two people arguing that could be very toxic themselves and have toxic traits and unable to emotionally regulate and check the facts when you see other people arguing um yes it's horrible to watch but on the inside I'm kind of like that's not me anymore I don't get lost in my emotions I'm not you know being vicious and toxic towards the other person but being able to view that I'm kind of like wow that was that was me and it's kind of almost like watching two people argue on a cartoon because it's just so far-fetched and that's when you start to think they are overwhelmed by their emotions they're not even arguing for that topic anymore they're arguing because they feel bad someone's saying I can't believe you've done this and really they're saying I can't believe you know you've I don't know dropped and broken my favorite vase instead it's I can't believe you've made me feel sadness how dare you that's what they're arguing for okay so let's Let's concrete this down into some small points from the book. So in order to see the big picture, you need to use the following guidelines. Whenever you find yourself in a situation in which you feel overwhelmed by your emotions, ask yourself these questions. One, what happened? Two, as a result, what did you think and feel? Be specific. Three, what evidence supports? Supports how you feel. That can be your emotions. What supports the way that you feel right now? What are you thinking? Why do you feel, why do you feel this way? Number four, what evidence, are you ready, contradicts how you think and feel? What is the reason that you can say, you know what, I'm wrong right now. I'm going to slam my judge little hammer. I'm going to get the word for that. My hammer down. And this is proof that what I'm thinking is wrong. Even though it feels uncomfortable, we could have an argument with a friend. And if we can contradict and think, you know, they're not really a bad friend. They might have let me down this time, but I know they didn't mean to deep down. They're not a terrible person. It's just maybe they're having an off day. I I can let this slide. Number five, what's a more accurate and fair way to think and feel about this situation? And six, what can you do to cope with this situation in a healthy way? Now, if you need some tips for number six, remember, we've got our distress tolerance skills. Okay, naturally, when you start to feel overwhelmed by a situation, first, ask yourself what happened. This is the best way to begin. You need to identify what it really is that's making you feel upset. You know, I said that if you're having, an, if you're watching two people argue, a lot of the time they're arguing because they feel an emotion and it has, you know, it spewed some things up inside themselves. And that's the reason why they're arguing, because they're hurt. So if we use Eva as an example, you would have noted that she had a poor grade on her maths test. Second, identify your thoughts and feelings. Remember, your thoughts greatly influence how you feel. It's that powerful. But if you, but if your thoughts about a situation are being filtered and you're not seeing the big picture, you're not be able to, you're able to see the outside perspective. Your thoughts are more likely to cause overwhelming, distressing emotions. So in Ziva's example, she thought, "God, I'm such a loser," 
And then she feels overwhelmed, upset, and angry. And what she's done, she's changed her actual inner process. So she's gone from being a straight A student, living life, feeling great, to thinking, I'm such a loser. And as soon as she's thought that process, that changes her, her biology. She's upset, physically showing those emotions. Third, ask yourself what evidence supports how you're thinking and feeling about the situation. This is usually a very easy, easy question to answer because if you've spent your life filtering your experiences so that you only see the negative distressing facts, it's easy to think of lots of reasons why you feel so distressed and overwhelmed. After all, that's what we usually do, right? If I said to you, give me three reasons why you are an amazing person, you might be like, hmm, can I get back to you on that, Danny? But if I said, okay, give me 10 reasons why you're a terrible person, you'd be like, well, I did this and this happens and then I can easily do this. And it's, you know, and I'm like, no, it's easy to notify the wrong things because that's just because our brain, like I said before, is constantly scanning for negatives because we've grown up. We've grown up in an environment where that was normal. It's normal to have to analyze the bad traits of people and learn how to split on people because we have to think, you know, this person is capable of abusing me, neglecting me, physically assaulting me, that I have to judge every single critical thing that they do so that I know when to escape. That's where it comes from. And that's it's okay to think like that, but we can unlearn it. I promise you, I am the living proof. Okay, I've lost my port in the page. Where did I get up to? Blah, 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 blah. blah. La la la, two moments, guys. Okay, so um, after all, this is what we usually do. So Ziva, 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 there we go, could easily identify why she was feeling so upset. So she, she has studied hard, as she always did, but had gotten a poor grade on her test, which was her lowest score all year. Now, the fourth question, which is what evidence contradicts how you feel, however, is usually new and challenging for people struggling with overwhelming emotions. I get that, that's tough. When I first did this exercise, what, two years ago when I was deep in the BPDs, um, I was like, how does this contradict how I feel? How is there evidence to con- to tell me that I'm not a terrible person, this person isn't a bad person? And I struggled so hard with it. But asking yourself to identify the evidence that contradicts how you think and feel about a situation requires that you view the situation in a new and deeper way. The instance Imagine how much different the world must look to a person standing on the street when compared to a person flying above in an airplane. They're both looking at the same landscape, but the person in the plane has a different view of the whole landscape, the bigger picture. You know, we're looking at something from two different sides of um, the spectrum. So on a similar level, you need to examine more of the facts and evidence that affects your situation and makes your big picture. As you saw earlier in the examples, people often filter out the positive elements of their life and ignore the facts that might change the way they feel about a situation. Now, if you really want to stop feeling overwhelmed by your emotions, you have to look at those facts. Now, that point there is that we ignore the facts that will change how we feel. Now, this will be true. When we're sad, we are more likely to shook on a really, really horribly sad song to make our emotions come out more, to to cry because our body's like, I need to cry so much. So we put on a really sad song and then we, you know, we have it. Or if we're in an argument and we get angry, we don't, we have a split second where we could probably think, you know, let me just calm myself down. Let me remove myself from this situation, you know, get all that distress out so I can return and, and be a normal, not normal, but have a, a soft way of engaging with this person. But instead, we're like, no, I'm staying angry. Don't change my mind. I want to be angry. That's the point. We want to stick with our statements because we feel that we may lose face. 
in the middle of an argument, it's very healthy to turn around and say, gosh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I mean, a dick. What am I doing? I shouldn't be arguing with you. We want the same outcome. Maybe you pointed out that I didn't do something that I should have done. And I'm so sorry. Tell me what I need to do next time. I feel crappy. I feel a bit of shame and guilt right now for, you know, making you tell me it this way. Let's work through it together. That's healthy. What is not healthy is when someone is so overwhelmed with their emotions that it becomes it becomes personal and they and they can't contradict how they think and feel because they're like, you have insulted me. You are making me feel awful. Now you're the bad person. There are many, many more other reasons to support why you are the bad person as opposed to me and thinking, hang on a second, am I being a bit over the top type thing? Okay, so... This shit is hard and it's going to take you so many times. You're going to have so many arguments with people or not arguments, but you might have distressing situations where eventually when you look over it, you're like, oh God, I'm kicking myself. Why did I do that? I could have just walked away at this moment. But let me tell you, through my two years of extensive self-help with the BPDing and EMDR therapy and then being able to not have those traits and getting undiagnosed for BPD, um, you will have many moments where you cringe at past situations. But let me tell you this, cringing is a sign that you are healing. If you can look over a back, back over a situation and you're like, oh my God, why did I do that? That's good. You are able to analyze stuff. You're going to get a lot of that. So I, I welcome the cringing feelings because it really is self-growth. And it's something that a lot of people don't really talk about. But you can't feel shame from past behavior. You can just be like, oh, that's really annoying that I did that. However... I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to hold on to it. Okay, so remember when Ziva filtered out what she filtered out? She filtered out that she's a straight A student, she's on the honour roll, and she got a full scholarship to her first choice of colleagues. So now consider how that information contradicts with when she thought, I'm a loser, and how she felt. She felt overwhelmed, upset, and angry. Obviously, Ziva filtered out some very important pieces of her big picture. So remember, since this question is going to be new for us, It often takes some time to think of an answer. So give yourself a few minutes to think about the possible facts before saying there is no contradictory evidence. Be fair and kind to yourself. There is always evidence for and against any topic. And even if the contradictory evidence is minor, it still adds to your big picture. So consider Ziva's example. Even if her example was different and she was a B student or a hardworking student, these facts could still could have changed the way she felt about the poor grade. No fact a contradictory piece of evidence is too small to be overlooked. You've watched crime series, right? A small piece of evidence can change everything. Okay, next. Keeping in mind the new evidence that contradicts that triggering thought, ask yourself if there is a more accurate and fair way to think and feel about the situation. It's a good time to be mindful of your emotions and to use radical acceptance. Remember, this exercise is designed to help you look at your emotional reactions in a new way. It's not designed to criticize you. And I know sometimes we might feel offended when we're being told to think the complete opposite of how we're feeling because our emotions are very, very valid. But it's just a new way of thinking. Try it out. Give it a try. Just like, you know what? I'm going to decide that I am not a terrible person right now and I want to tell myself that I'm good. Now, let me tell you this. The book doesn't really explain that. But you will have moments where you may say, have an argument with someone and you run through these six points of what happened. As a result, how do we think, feel? What evidence supports how you think? What evidence contradicts how you think and feel? But there will be moments where you could be in an argument with someone and someone is, let's say they are emotionally volatile. They can be, dare I say, quite toxic when they're arguing with you. That that 
you have to have more brain power because if you're having an argument with someone that is using personal things against you, it's very easy for you to slip back in and think, I am a terrible person. They're pointing out all of these things. They're bringing in extra stuff to the argument. I know that I'm bad. And that is the test. You have to be able to still be in a situation where someone's calling you a bad person to sit there and think, hang on, what is my evidence to contradict how I am? And there will be times where you have um, situations where you think, you know what, I'm, I'm not a bad person here. This person's telling me I'm a bad person, but I'm not. And it's confusing. And that will happen a couple of times and it will throw you off. But the third or the fourth time you think, you know what, this person, there's something going on with this person that they are trying to personally attack me. That's okay. They can have that. They can go away and do what they need to do. This argument is not going to shut down until they calm down emotionally. There's no point me being in this situation. I need to leave. You will have those situations. And if you can always be solid to your truth that you are not a bad person, you will get through those very tough arguments. So where do we get up to? Therefore, don't be critical to yourself. Try to be accepting of yourself and your emotions as you continue to see your emotions in a new way. And in this step, add the new evidence to your big picture and try to create a more accurate and fair way to think and feel about the situation. So in reality, this might not change how you feel right now, but it will help you to notice how you could feel about the situation in the future. Using these skills, Ziva's answers could have been something like, it's okay to feel disappointed because I studied a lot. I didn't do well, but this is just a bad grade. I mostly get A's and I'm doing well in general. Finally, Ziva would have asked, what can I do to cope with this situation in a healthy way? And here is where you should draw from all the skills and techniques you've learned in this workbook or the podcast to help you distract, relax and cope. For example, Ziva could have used some of the distress tolerance and self-soothing skills to calm her emotions, like talking to a friend or listening to some relaxing music. She could also have used her mindfulness skills like mindful breathing or thought diffusion. Or she could have used a coping thought like, nobody's perfect, everyone makes mistakes. Obviously, using the questions in this exercise is not going to magically change the way you feel right away. But asking yourself these questions will help you recognize the facts that you've been filtering out. And it will also show you the possibilities of how you might react in a similar situation in the future. Then with practice, you'll start reacting to those similar situations situations in a new healthier way. Seeing the bigger picture will also give you hope for your future. Many people who filter their experiences, they feel hopeless and desperate because they're only seeing the problems and the difficulties in their lives. But looking for contrary evidence opens up new perspectives to let them see that their lives do include some positive experiences. Looking for evidence against overwhelming emotions is like taking off those dark sunglasses that you can see the variety of colours in your life and that's a hopeful experience. So let's use the following evidence log to help us recognise the evidence for and against the ways you think and feel. We can make photocopies of this log and keep one with you. And then when you're in a situation when you feel overwhelmed, use that log to see the big picture. Use the following examples of Ziva's experience to help you. So in the book, this is page 154. So it's a, it's literally a table. One side is the questions. The other side, oops, fell off my chair. Embarrassing. The next side is your responses. Okay, questions. What happened? So we're filling this out as if we're Ziva. Her response is, I got a poor grade on my maths test. Next question. As a result, what did you think and feel be specific? She says, I'm thinking I'm such a loser and I'm feeling my emotions. I'm overwhelmed. I'm upset and I'm angry. Next question. 
what evidence supports how you're thinking and feeling? And she says, I studied as hard as I could like I usually do. And I still only get a poor grade. That's my lowest grade in class all year. So her her evidence is, I can feel this way because I usually do this and get this and get good results, but this time I didn't. Okay. Question four: What evidence contradicts how you're thinking and feeling? And she replies, "I'm a straight A student. I'm on the honour roll, and I got a full scholarship to my first choices of colleagues." of colleges. Lol, look at me reading things wrong. Got a full scholarship to my first choice of colleges. Okay, number five. Considering all the evidence, what's a more accurate and fair way to think and feel about the situation? And she answers, it's okay to feel disappointed because I studied a lot and still didn't do well, but this is just one grade. I mostly get A's and I'm doing well in general. I'm going to add on to that 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 she says, I'm not going to let this ruin my day. I'm not going to let this ruin any more time because at the end of the day, I'm still going where I want to be despite this little tiny hiccup. And lastly, what can you do to cope with this situation in a healthier way? And she says, talk to my friends, listen to music I like, use thought diffusion, use mindful breathing, use my coping thought. Nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Okay, that is our evidence, our evidence, the big picture log. And we've got a couple more pages. Okay, increasing positive emotions. So before we picked up this workbook or listened to the podcast for the very first time, you probably felt like an expert on distressing emotions and you understood what a life filled with them could feel like. So now, however, you understand that many people with overwhelming emotions discount their pleasurable emotions. They filter them out, get rid of them, throw them in the bin and never take that opportunity to experience them in the first place. As a result, they only focus on the distressing emotions such as anger, fear, sadness, and they rarely notice their pleasurable emotions such as happiness, surprise, and love. Why is that? We were never taught in childhood to be happy. We were never said, go off to that thing that makes you happy, go do it. Or we, because of that, we have a serotonin depletion. Our brain doesn't know how to make happy chemicals if we've never had to make them, you know? how it works. So maybe that's what you did before, but now you know that it's important for you to begin noticing your pleasurable emotions. And as you continue to use dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, to improve your life, you want to find more ways of experiencing pleasurable emotions if you don't have enough of them in your life already. So this doesn't mean that you'll never experience another distressing and distressing feeling because that's impossible. We all have distressing emotions at different points in our lives, but your life does not have to be dominated by them. And one very reliable way of focusing on pleasurable emotions is to create pleasurable experiences for yourself. And this is a skill that we learned in chapter one for basic distress tolerance skills, but it deserves to be repeated here. To begin building a more balanced, healthier life for yourself, take some time out of each day to create a pleasurable experience for yourself and make note of how you feel and what you thought as a result of your experience. So if you need help thinking of pleasurable experiences, use the big list of pleasurable activities found in chapter one on pages 15 to 16. And also I turn this into a Excel sheet and you basically load up this Excel sheet on your phone, on your laptop, you press a certain key and it gives you a random pleasurable activity to do if you don't want to pick one out yourself, kind of like a lucky dip. And yep, I will post a link for that down below. 
And then you can talk, think about what you thought about that experience. So remember, try to do something pleasurable for yourself every day. You deserve it. So here we go. Here are some pleasurable activity logs. So we're going to start with Wednesday night. What did we do? Took a hot bath. How did we feel? Relaxed and calm. What did you think? I'm going to do this more often. Thursday afternoon. Treated myself to a delicious lunch at work. Felt satisfied and happy. And I thought, I enjoy good food, even if I can't always afford it. Then Thursday evening, I turned off my phone and watched a movie. And I felt good. I laughed so much. What did I think? Mm, I don't watch enough comedies. Friday night, I went to dinner with my boyfriend. I felt excited, nervous, happy. What did I think? I wish we went out like that more often. Saturday morning, went to temple for religious services. Felt holy, felt special, felt calm. And I thought, damn, I should come here more often. Then Saturday afternoon, went for a walk at the lake. Felt calm and peaceful. And I thought, that lake was beautiful. Saturday afternoon, went out for ice cream after work. Wait, after, wait, no, 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 not, not what it says at all. I went out for ice cream after the walk. And how did I feel? Happy, like I used to when I was younger. What did I think? Miss being this happy. Saturday night, I stayed at home and read. I felt relaxed and quiet. And I thought sometimes it's nice to do quiet things. Sunday morning, I slept in late and I felt very rested. And I thought I don't get enough sleep during the week. Sunday night, I took another another bubble bath, felt very relaxed, and I thought I should do this every night. So these are just very teeny tiny examples of feel-good activities. It could be just reading three pages of a book. It could be taking a bubble bath. It could be cooking some desserts. It could be playing a game. It could be talking to a friend. It could be watching a couple of TikTok videos for 20 minutes. Anything that makes you feel good, you need to do every single day. Now, if you ever are stuck for doing something um because i remember back in 2022 before i was aware of all of this workbook and all the therapy that i did is i would just chronically work and some days when i get very stressed i just chronically work as like a um dissociation type of distraction tool but back then i would work and work and work and i would never wind down i would wake up in the morning chronically work go to sleep chronically work do it again I would never wind down and my sofa, I hardly ever sat on it. It was like a new sofa for two years. It just had no bum imprint whatsoever. And then I learned I really like relaxing. And it could just be watching a book. It could be watching something on Netflix. I, when I learned this part of the workbook, that's when I actually started watching lots of Netflix series. I have never watched um, a full series apart from, I think, Hannibal, the TV series. And that took me a long time to get through because I just couldn't sit down. I felt, and this is just a past trigger from an abusive parent who was like, why are you sitting down? Do this, do that, do that. And I realized I never let myself feel good. So that is your homework to let yourself feel good. And this has been a very, very long podcast episode. I hope it worked. I hope you really resonated with a lot of this. We're going to come back in where are we? Chapter seven, advanced. Mm, we could become an experts now, guys. Advanced emotional regulation skills. And we're going to do page, page, there's no page number on here. Page 159, one, two, three, four, five, all the way to page 165. If you want to get hold of this book, you can do so. There will be a link down in the show notes. I will post this as an as an affiliate link, which basically means if you if you purchase the book, I make a very teeny tiny tiny small percentage of that sale. You can get this book 
um, online for free as a PDF. Uh, the link that I used to have no longer works, so I can't provide that any longer. However, you don't need the book. You can listen along. The book just helps if you are a, a physical learner that needs to follow words as we go along. So I hope that really helped. I love you so, so much. Please understand that you can make a difference in your life by doing something small every single day. And I believe in you and have an amazing day and I will speak to you very soon. Goodbye.